Welcome to Social Work People, a podcast from the Australian Association of Social Workers investigating the diverse world of social work and connecting listeners to the people actively driving change and providing advocacy on the issues that impact upon the quality of life of all Australians. Social Work People explores what social workers are doing and thinking, the stories behind their work, the issues they grapple with and the vision that keeps them going. Today we're speaking about homelessness, human rights and how the connections between them have been highlighted by COVID-19. My guest is Kate Incerti, who has been a social worker in the housing and homelessness field for a long time and now works in a local government council in Melbourne's inner gentrifying suburbs. Kate has always taken a keen interest in the policy implications of her work with people and was the convener of the AASW Social Policy Committee between 2008 and 2013. Kate's human rights approach was one of the reasons that she was declared Social Worker of the Year for 2019 by the Victorian branch of the AASW. Hello, Kate. Hi, Angela. Kate, you've always approached your work in the housing and homelessness sector from a human rights perspective. So let's start by spelling out that connection in its most basic form. What would you say was the starting point for your approach? I think at its very core, Angela, social work recognises the human rights framework in action. As we see people impacted daily when their basic human needs are not met. And the Article 11 of the International Covenant on Economic, Social and Cultural Rights is very clear in that it's notionally more than just shelter. It recognises housing has includes a degree of privacy, sufficient space, security, lighting, ventilation, as well as supports access to work and basic facilities in the nearby community. And I just think that during COVID particularly, this has been highlighted as something that we all need as humans and to thrive, to have our best lives and to really reach our best potential. Yeah. Let's also remind ourselves that it's very connected to the right to health and it's one of the social determinants of health. It definitely is. And um, I guess that's something that the World Health Organization and some years ago, the Ottawa Charter, recognized that health is more than just the absence of disease or Mm. infirmity. It Mm. actually is a state of complete physical, mental and social well-being. Mm. And that is really premised on having space that you can call home. Yeah. Yeah. So in fact, if someone is homeless, there's a whole lot of their rights, a whole group of rights that are being negated, aren't there? Yeah. Yeah. Not just the right to shelter. Yeah. And I guess we're increasingly seeing that even the word homeless is overlooked. It's being without a home. And it's really interesting how the power of language and the power of different words portray a one-dimensional approach to this experience Mm. that increasingly is being felt by many people at different levels. Yeah. And before we move on, we should point out that speaking in Victoria as we are, Victoria also has its own charter of human rights, doesn't it? And it's in there in its own right or as part of a bigger, bigger art? 
It's a Victorian Charter of Human Rights and Responsibilities from 2006 has particularly added to domestic legal frameworks in Victoria certain international covenants, particularly the Convention on Political Rights, but not the um, Economic, Social and Cultural Rights. Right. So a right to housing is not enshrined specifically in the Victorian Charter, but rights to not have your family life arbitrarily yeah. interfered. And we've yeah. been able to use that as a really useful framework in guiding a whole range of policies, legislation and programs since it came into being. So it does bring human rights mm -hmm. language to the fore. Let's paint a picture of the part of Melbourne that you're working in, the community in which you're, you're doing this. Well, in the time that I've worked there, over the last nearly 25 years, it's dramatically changed. It was slowly becoming more gentrified, which is mm -hmm. when previously affordable areas become very unaffordable. Mm -hmm. But there was still a lot of diversity and a lot of different socioeconomic households when I started. Now it's become an area that is much more at polar ends. There's the very right. low socioeconomic and the very high socioeconomic. Right. Right. And I guess a bit in the middle, but predominantly the housing reflects those polar ends, as does what people often don't realise, the gentrification leads to gentrification of food and services. Mm -hmm. yeah. So a lot of the things that people rely on becomes unaffordable as well. So people can right. get a bit stuck in the social housing at the lower end of socioeconomic because they can't always afford the food right. in that area. Right. And then things like other services like GP clinics and things like that, do they are they then pushed out by gentrification as well? Yes, and a lot of community services that rent properties, that right. becomes unaffordable as well. So some of the community services have had to leave the area, even though a big part of the area I work in, one particular part has 16% social housing. Right. So you've got a pretty major part of the population yeah. that rely on those services to be local. Yes. And that's where it starts to have a, a particular challenge when you've got large mm -hmm. groups who need yeah. the community services but increasingly can't rely on them being local. Can you tell us a bit more about what you actually have been doing then in this geographic um, area? And yeah. Well, I guess it challenges some of the broader pictures of different organisations' role, different levels of government having a role to manage public space and particularly when we're talking about homelessness, rough sleeping. If there are those differences in experience and differences in awareness, it can be a big challenge to explain what the roles of government are and what they're authorised or entitled to do when you really, your role in that area is to promote community cohesion. Mm. And when mm. you've got people having the right to movement and the right to not have their belongings arbitrarily interfered with and the right to be in groups or gather, mm -hmm. those rights are in the Charter of Human Rights and mm -hmm. Responsibilities. So many public authorities have to walk that fine line about explaining some of those aspects to the broader community who may, in part, 
have an expectation that those people will be helped to move on into some other area, into supported accommodation or the like. So there's a lot of conversation that has to take place. And I think using a human rights framework that requires public authorities to consider human rights compatibility is a, a good strength to have. It's a broad framework. Because a lot of people are surprised when we explain homelessness is not illegal. And as a social worker of many years, I have to take a big deep breath and then say, well, actually, no, it's not illegal. And give that broader picture of um, the poverty and disadvantage, Mm -hmm. often transgenerational. It's not for me to convert them Mm -hmm. and it's not the majority, but it's certainly a conversation that we have to try and use as that ability to reframe. So often I say to people, I'm so glad you've registered your concern about this person without a home. And now we're able to follow up and perhaps offer that person assistance and support. So thank you for being part of the solution. And um, it's interesting sometimes they sort of take a breath and think, wow, okay, I didn't think of it like that. And your sense, I think you're telling us, is that that's very much a function of that polarisation of your community. I I think it's broader than that. I think it's much broader across our culture and across different time frames. Mm -hmm. I think um, colonisation has really put a value on being of standing and having land or having a property. And I think in the broader context, it's part of that cultural understanding that there are services there to help someone should they want to be helped and that's hundreds of years old so I think there's a lot of layers to this space. I'm really interested to hear you say that because I did want to start asking you your take on some of the things that we have seen about COVID-19. We should tell our audience that we're recording this conversation in August 2020 in Melbourne So in Melbourne, we're still living in stage four social restrictions because of COVID-19. They were first introduced in March for a short time and then reintroduced in July. So we've had a bit of time to observe what has been illuminated by COVID-19 and our relationship with homes and housing is a really important one, I think. Tell me what you've noticed. I think it has illuminated and I always think of Leonard Cohen when he says there's a crack in everything and how that, that's how the light gets in and I think this has given pause to think about rough sleeping and about trying to get people into consistent shelter and that's occurred around the country. I think there's nearly 8,000 people who are in some form of hotel respite emergency accommodation and we've had that extended now for a few more months into next year into April so it gives us a chance to highlight when we have shelter in place that not everybody had shelter in place and it's the really first time people haven't had shelter in place for decades but this is the first time governments as a whole have really done something about it so it's been a really interesting awakening for Mm. the community to the sort of life that social workers working in this sector have had to deal with. For a long um, time, yeah. For for a very long time and talked about for a long time. Mm. So it's it's been a really 
unusual time to sort of see that people are getting it. Same mm-hmm. with aged care, same with child and family welfare, same with family violence. So mm-hmm. I guess it's got all our hopes up. Okay. It's easy to see why the Victorian branch uh, judged you <laughs> as Social Worker of the Year for 2019. Oh, no. It's very yeah. humble. I, I felt very humbled. And, well, you're um, an inspiration. Appreciated by that. <laughs> It's been really fascinating getting your insights and um, we're very grateful. Thank you very much. And um, we hope to get the benefit of your insights in many more other ways as you continue your work. Thank you very much. Thanks, Angela. Thanks, everyone. This has been Social Work People, a podcast of the Australian Association of Social Workers. To discover more about the AASW or social work in Australia, please visit our website, aasw.asn.au. If you would like to learn more about the people or issues discussed during our podcasts, please contact us at media at aasw.asn.au.